Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Welcome to Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley, and thank you for joining us today. Today, we'll be talking about collaborative divorce, and joining us today is Ernie Martin. Uh, Ernie, thank you for being here. Thank you, as always, Kevin. Well, Ernie, if the listeners wanted to reach out to you, how might, how might they do that? I work for a firm called Courier & Martin, that's C-U-R-R-I-E-R and Martin. You can reach us on our website at www.couriermartin.com. You can also reach us via phone at 281-890-7090. I'm extension 103. And lastly, you can reach me by email at emartin at couriermartin.com. Thank you, Ernie. So uh, collaborative divorce, why don't we start with what is collaborative divorce? What the heck is collaborative yeah. divorce? It doesn't sound like that's a divorce at all if you use the word collaborative, does it? No. It sounds a little bit friendly. I was just reading an article in the Houston Chronicle this morning that talked about January being quote-unquote divorce month. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how true that is, but there does seem to be an uptick in filings in the month of January mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the year. So it's an opportune time for us to talk about mm-hmm. some alternatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, collaborative divorce or collaborative family law is an alternative dispute mm-hmm. resolution method. It's a good way of resolving family law issues with your spouse or partner or what have you. Uh, it can deal with just married folks who don't have children. It can deal with uh, folks who have children that aren't married uh, in any combination therein. Uh, it's a alternative to litigation. Let's back up and talk about what litigation Mm -hmm. is. Litigation in the family law circles is something that is something to avoid, to be perfectly honest with you. It is nasty business. It's expensive. It is time-consuming. It is emotionally draining. And it's everything that you tend to think about divorce or uh, custody issues or what have you, uh, you know, when you see these nasty shows or or, uh, scenes on TV or things that you read about in the paper. Litigation is uh, a good way to make enemies of people. Mm -hmm. If they didn't like each other going into a hotly litigated divorce, they're really not going to like each other coming out. That's just a given. Uh, Now, why is that? You know, again, we could we could talk all day long of all the, the dirty tricks and whatnot that get played in litigation that are perfectly legal but nevertheless are going to be something that people do not forget for decades sometimes. Well, I, I always thought collaborative would be once people are familiar with it and their questions are answered, that it really should be a preferred method and the trial or litigation should be when there's no other solution available. And I like to say when maybe People can't act like a human being, and someone has to go explain the process to them. And, um, you know, litigation or trial should be the last resort instead of the first resort. 
I couldn't agree with you more, mm -hmm. and that's exactly how we like to frame collaborative mm -hmm. law is try this, mm -hmm. try this method. Understand something. Collaborative does not mean kumbaya, mm -hmm. does not mean that you walk into this proceeding with everything discussed mm -hmm. and agreed to. Collaborative cases are contested cases. People are making agreements at the outset, though, that they don't want to get into that nasty litigation furball. They want to work things out in a more respectful, peaceful, and private manner. And that's collaborative law. Collaborative law, oh, you know, it's been given credit back into the, I think, the late 80s. Um, a gentleman up in Minnesota who'd had enough of the litigated family law cases, uh, him and a judge sat down and mm -hmm. kind of figured out this model of how about if the lawyers, rather than working against each other mm -hmm. to trip each other up, to harm each other's clients, what if they work together to help these folks mm -hmm. get through this very difficult times? A lot of times when we visit with our client, we have a general idea as attorneys, we have a general idea how this divorce is going to go, what the outcome might be or a range of outcomes might be in, in a litigated uh, environment. Yet the attorneys make money mm -hmm. if they keep the fight alive. They're mm -hmm. billing by the hour. They keep the fight alive for as long as they can, going through different vehicles, protracted discovery, for instance, um, that just drive up the cost and drive up the, the, well, the maddening insanity, if mm -hmm. you will. Collaborative, the lawyers are going to listen to their clients talk together. We, mm -hmm. we sit down in one room, we meet, and the clients begin to talk. Mm -hmm. The clients do the negotiating. The lawyers are there to help. And the lawyers are working together. We'll meet before meetings, these pre-meetings, mm -hmm. and post-meetings after, after we meet with the clients to talk about how are we going to work together today to help these folks? What's going to be the issue today that we need to work together to help these folks? And then after the meet, we'll sit down and say, how did we do? What could we have improved upon? What can we do next time to even further the process and make it better? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important, and you mentioned it, that people understand all the issues are going to get addressed during, during collaborative divorce process. It's just a different way to go about it. And um, everyone has their differences, but the, the process and the attorneys aren't introducing additional angst um, and a combative environment that, I mean, obviously is there, but they don't need to increase it any or up the volume, if you will. That's correct. Yeah. And again, it, it takes kind of special attorneys to engage in the collaborative process. First of all, I'm trained in mm -hmm. the collaborative process. You're trained mm -hmm. in the collaborative process. But there's no requirement that the attorneys actually undergo any kind of training, such as there's a requirement that attorneys go through training to become mediators, mm -hmm. that kind of mm -hmm. thing. However, with that said, it's very wise if the attorneys have gone through that training because, it, again, it takes a different mindset. Most of us come out of law school with the notion that we're here to you know, figuratively, not literally, but figuratively attack, mm -hmm. attack and do damage and win for our client and fight, fight, fight. In collaborative training, 
we're kind of taught to put away those swords and pull out the olive branches. Again, work together as a team and not just lawyers. Mm -hmm. We bring in, as you know, you're a financial professional. We bring in financial professionals to assist, which I can't say enough about the assistance that we Mm -hmm. get from financial Mm -hmm. professionals. We might bring in mental health professionals. People like to refer to them as communication coaches. Mm -hmm. They're not there to fix all the mental defects that people might have, but they are there to spot things and to help the parties communicate. Collaborative is particularly important if the parties have minor children, particularly young Mm -hmm. minor children. They can get divorced and they can move on with their lives, but they're not divorcing the kids. And they're going to have to co-parent, particularly in this state where the rights are oftentimes shared. Mm -hmm. It's very important that the parents are able to maintain a cohesive co-parenting relationship after divorce. That doesn't mean that they're going to get along on each and every aspect, but it does mean that they realize that they can talk it out, they can work it out, and that there's places that they can go or turn to if they run into a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Okay, And the last place that they want to go that they've learned is going into that courtroom. You touched on something very important. You touched on different kinds of issues that people mm-hmm. might bring up. In collaborative, it can be custom-tailored to deal mm-hmm. with any kind of issue, really, in, in, in the family law circles. Whereas judges in courtrooms mm-hmm. have very limited time for mm-hmm. cases. They're very busy, and there's a big backlog. So there are just flat-out certain issues that they will immediately just decide, that's not relevant, mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. Even if the parties want to discuss it in front of the judge, judge has no desire to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get discussed. And there you have that frayed fabric at the end of that divorce case. Right. So, you you know, you mentioned someone that just because of the system that's in place, litigation or, or, you know, a trial setting, it's not set up uh, time-wise to address the people's needs. Uh, I don't think so in in the detail that needs to be done. But the process that's there, in my opinion, you know, litigation and trial— if it's needed, okay, it's needed, but I think those exceptions are rare. But it's just a process to complete a transaction, with a, which is a divorce. And up until collaborative, and in some cases mediation, the system hasn't changed a whole lot and hasn't give, given couples an opportunity to improve their situation. So, um, you know, the model's there, but it doesn't mean it's a good model, meaning litigation. Um, so a lot of times we hear people like, okay, I'm getting a divorce. What do I do? And someone's advice will be, okay, you're going to get an attorney and punish your spouse. And it's like, well, how does that address all your other issues? And I don't think it does in most cases. And as you said, it makes the situation worse in some cases. Um, um, I mean, obviously couples have their differences, but, um, I mean, you're there to go your separate ways and doing that in an efficient manner that addresses your needs is important versus, hey, we're going to have a process and maybe my spouse is uncomfortable during the process and I'll get a kick out of it. I mean, I don't know what that does for uh, each couple. So, yeah. well, it helps the lawyers make their boat payments anyway. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, again, and collaborative is one of these things where, you know, technically it's mm-hmm. called interest-based mm-hmm. negotiations. Mm-hmm goals and interest Mm -hmm. that's what collaborative is all about and that's one of the things that we do early on in the collaborative process is Mm -hmm. to try to establish 
What do we want to accomplish with mm-hmm. this? Obviously, if it's a divorce case, we want to get the parties divorced. Mm-hmm. But how? Under what terms? What are the considerations? Mm-hmm. What do the parties have special interest-wise that they want to work out, that they want to address? Not about what the lawyers want, not about mm-hmm. what the judge wants, mm-hmm. okay? The other beauty of collaborative law is time. When we do litigated cases, we're always under a clock, mm-hmm. all right? Now, for some people, the clock is long. Some people think, well, you know, that divorce took a year. That's just way too long, and it is a very long time. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. However, sometimes you don't have that choice. You simply have to wait your turn. Mm-hmm. The courts are busy, as I said. In collaborative we can, again, customize the case. Mm-hmm. We can take as much time as we need to take. We can take as little time as the parties want to take. You know, In Texas, we have a minimum waiting period of 60 days for mm-hmm. a divorce, mm-hmm. so nobody gets divorced before then. Mm-hmm. But we can take it 90 days, six months, mm-hmm. a year. I just finished a case recently that took about a year and a half, a little bit over, one of the longest cases I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And this was primarily at the party's call, not mm-hmm. the lawyers, okay? Mm-hmm. We were ready to proceed, but the parties had things that they were trying to work out. Mm-hmm. They were being very thorough with everything. Um, we have upwards to two years, or we have two years. There's a chapter in the Family Code, Chapter 15, that deals with collaborative law. It created a, a, a procedure in Texas that recognized procedure that the courts must uh, uh, abide by as well where once we file notice of collaborative procedures with that court, that court takes us off their trial docket and puts us on a collaborative case docket, Mm -hmm. and we're left unfettered. The court doesn't bother us. They don't sit there and say, you have to be down here to conclude this. You You have this discovery deadline, all of these things that we have to deal with in contested litigation. We don't have to deal with in collaborative law. We take it as it comes. And again, that's a cooperation thing between the parties, the lawyers, the other professionals involved. The lawyers should be available and ready to meet, you know, within reason at the client's desire. Mm-hmm. Okay, not always. And scheduling these things, as you know, sometimes can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is if the parties are ready to proceed, we're ready to proceed. If the parties want to take their time with things, we don't push them. We don't push them. So, so Ernie, you mentioned time and scheduling, and uh, I wanted to mention in detail also that in collaborative, uh, the schedule is determined primarily by the clients and the attorneys. But in a litigated case or a trial case, who additional whose additional schedule is um, part of that process? The court, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. you have to work within the guidelines of the court of scheduling and keeping them up to date and showing it up, showing up at court. And couples could show up to divorce court with their attorneys, but then maybe they're not heard that day. Does that happen sometimes? That happens quite often, as a matter of fact. And, you know, again, we'll show up to court for hearings. Mm -hmm. Again, judge is busy. Uh, Other preceding cases went long mm-hmm. we're sitting around in the hallway hour after hour mm-hmm. our clients are getting mad they're looking at us like are you billing me for this mm-hmm. it's like yes i am mm-hmm. um so again that, that 
that's going to focus in the part that we're going to talk about in a little while about why do collaborative, and that's one of the things is cost control. Right. Um, now, one thing I was I was going to talk about that I uh, I missed. We do have the timeline to the extent that collaborative cases really have to be finished in two years. Mm -hmm. I've never seen one go that long. Mm -hmm. Now, this most recent one that went longer than I thought it was Mm going to go, I was kind of looking at my watch going, all right, is this one going to be the one that goes two years? I don't know. Um, But I've never had that, never had that become an issue. And Mm -hmm. to be quite honest with you, I think that most courts would accept a continuance mm-hmm. for a collaborative case, just like they often do on litigated cases. Mm-hmm. If if you can go to court and prove to the judge that progress is being made, the judge could just keep you on that collaborative docket, mm-hmm. even past the two-year period. Okay. So they just want you to check in and then yeah, proceed. We, yeah. we actually file. I don't know if they ever get read by the judges. Um, Collaborative is kind of one of these things that for the court, they're, they're glad the process exists because it's one more case that they don't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't think that the judges get too intimately familiar with our files. Uh, now, we're supposed to file a status report every mm-hmm. six months to inform the court that we're still out there. We're still working on the case. Mm-hmm. I have had cases mm-hmm. where s- status reports did not get filed and the court wasn't even aware of it. Um, so again, I don't know how much attention that the court's paying on these collaborative mm-hmm. cases, which is fine because we don't really invite their help in mm-hmm. these cases. Courts are there ultimately if the collaborative process fails, mm-hmm. okay? If for whatever reason, and we can talk about some reasons that that process might fail, but if the collaborative process fails, the parties do have the option of turning around and going to court and litigating, mm-hmm. okay? So that's always there as a backstop, if you will. Mm-hmm. I have had a couple over the years that did fail, um, some of them rightfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, are the parties better off that the case failed and went in before a judge? Possibly in those, in those unique extreme cases. But most of the time, um, the parties are better off just concluding their case in the collaborative method. So again, as attorneys, when we work together, we oftentimes have to tamper people's conduct Mm -hmm. and remind them Mm -hmm. of what the process is supposed to be about and what the process is not supposed to be about. So in other words, perhaps one of us might have a client who decides that might be wise to try to hide some assets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. gee whiz i'm not under any kind of oath here why can't i just make something disappear mm-hmm. um that would be grounds to terminate the collaborative process collaborative mm-hmm. is based upon full disclosure mm-hmm. it's based upon honesty if you're dealing with a party who has a knack for dishonesty mm-hmm. who is secretive who thinks that they're going to use the collaborative process to just basically hide their assets They've come to the wrong place, and, and again, they've wasted time and money, and you're better off litigating if that is something you're going to be dealing with. Well, well right. So um, some people, and as you mentioned, it's not accurate, think that, well, during this process, maybe I can get away with some things. And I mean, it comes out in the process one way or the other um, that if someone had that idea of, of you mentioned, Hey, maybe I want to hide all or some of the assets. Eventually it gets found out and then you've just wasted your time and everyone else's and you start over. And now the other side is 
probably familiar what's being with what was trying to be hid, and there's no secrets anymore. So uh, I, I don't know what they accomplished, but the, the process is there, and it works, and it covers all the bases, and um, it addresses their needs, unlike maybe some other solutions. Yeah. Oh, yes. And again, that's I can't say enough about that. Um, back to the interest-based negotiation slash goals and interests, you know, what do we mean by that? Oftentimes in litigation, we are taking tactical positions. We are taking adversarial positions, meaning what would the court do with this problem? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if you know the judge really, really well, you might have a better insight than a lot of people. But I have never been comfortable enough with any court and any judge that I'm willing to say, I know what that judge is going to do because mm -hmm. you just don't. That judge might not have gotten a good night's sleep before mm -hmm. your hearing, and that can affect your outcome. Maybe the judge doesn't pay attention during the trial, or maybe the judge is aggressive with the parties and the attorneys. Who knows? But again, adversarial negotiation or position negotiation mm -hmm. is this is what the court is going to give me, so now you must give me that. That doesn't really work so well in the collaborative atmosphere because, mm -hmm. again, what we're trying to do is determine what is the party's interest? What do they want to see happen as a result of this divorce? And, again, not just the obvious that they get divorced, but maybe, again, the children's future, mm -hmm. financial futures, security, emotional security, mm -hmm. decision-making procedures. Um, you know, how are you going to co-parent these children mm -hmm. down the road? People have all kinds of goals and interests. A lot of times what starts out as a goal or an interest at the initial mm -hmm. outset of a collaborative case might get shuffled down to become less important as the process progresses, okay? So we'll actually keep track of these. Mm -hmm. We'll jot down what party A's goals and interests are and what party B's goals and interests are. And then perhaps a meeting or two later, we revisit that mm -hmm. and we talk about it. And different folks handle it differently. We've seen people write it up on a, mm -hmm. on a, a, a grease board and you know keep it up there where here's mm -hmm. the goals and interests and then they change and we rearrange them for everybody to see. Sometimes we just keep notes. Um, but the idea is there's nothing wrong with changing these goals and interest as the, as the case progresses. And it's interesting to see how they can evolve. Well, you mentioned something earlier that was really important along with everything else that's important is in the litigation system, you're introducing someone else into your private life that ultimately can make decisions for you, whether you want those decisions or not. And most of us would like to limit the amount of people other than ourselves as a couple, uh, what those decisions are, how we take them and when we take them. And yet you're introducing yourself into a system litigation of there's other people there that are going to make decisions for you if y'all can't come to an agreement. And you don't have to like it, but they're still going to make a decision for you. And it'll be a real quick decision um, with a period at the end of it. And there's usually not you know, a follow-up statement or complaint or, yeah, but, I mean, those conversations don't really happen too much in court, do they? No, they don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. As a matter of fact, I'm very familiar with the conversations that happen after the court. Yeah. 
Why did the judge do this? Why didn't the judge listen to this? Mm-hmm. What happened here? Why, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the judge, think about this for a minute. They're hearing your case. This is probably the third, fourth, fifth time that week that they've heard a very similar case. Mm-hmm. You're a cookie cutter situation. Mm-hmm. You're getting A, B, C. Next, mm-hmm. says mm-hmm. the judge. And it's a mill. Okay, so there is really no curtailed any customization per right. se that comes out of a court in this kind of litigation. Again, mm-hmm. this is why some of the attorneys, when they say, "I know Judge A is going to do mm-hmm. one, two, and three, and mm-hmm. some of them are spot on. Some of them, you know, they're down there enough; they know the judge enough right. that they can pretty much predict what this judge is going to do. Um, so again. Going to court with the idea that the judge is going to treat you special and is going to hear everything that you have to say is just mm-hmm. folly. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Matter of fact, temporary orders, you know, most judges will put a time limit on it. You mm-hmm. might have an hour or an hour per side. Right. Um, and that's it. And that the judge wants it done, over mm-hmm. with, it's temporary order, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and there really is no, no specialization. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, in collaborative... You know, a party might say, look, this is a really, really big deal. I need everybody to understand how important this particular issue is to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe, for instance, uh, and this is a fairly popular one, keeping the children in the marital residence Mm -hmm. and that only house that they've ever known in that neighborhood where their friends are and that school where where they've gone their entire lives. Um, You know, tremendous, tremendous upheaval for a child to all of a sudden yank all that stuff away. Well, let's face it, in a lot of instances, it's outside of a court's power mm-hmm. to make that happen. They say, look, sorry, house got to be sold, got to move. Right. Now, if you can find a house in the same neighborhood and keep the same friends and go to the mm-hmm. same school, all right, press on. But if you can't, too bad. Next. Right. In collaborative, we look at that as, all right, what do we have to do to make this happen? Mm-hmm. What can we do to make this happen? And we're only really limited by our own creativity. We can really think outside of the box in the collaborative aspects. Plus, we have more eyes on the problem. I have had financial professionals Mm -hmm. weigh in on children's issues. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're familiar. They have kids. Mm -hmm. They've seen other cases. They have great input. Their ability to contribute isn't limited just to their discipline, right? Well, no, that's a, that's a very good point, and you know, I'll mention if if you could witness what's going on in the table, where the setting of the two clients are there, the two attorneys are there, the financial person's there, and the uh, person that helps with the counseling background to facilitate everything in the communication, as you said, you could eavesdrop on that conversation, and you wouldn't tell that that's really a divorce setting because no one's yelling at each other during that process. The attorneys on opposite sides are coming up with solutions that would work for both parties. So it's just a group of people all working to come up with a solution, and it's not one-sided, and everybody's issues are being addressed. That's correct. The other, another interesting facet, one that I always find interesting Mm -hmm. when I'm doing collaborative case, um, you know, traditionally under the litigated model Mm -hmm. and under the disciplinary rules, I'm not allowed to talk to the other attorney's client, Mm -hmm. okay? We have very strict rules about that. Now, in collaborative, I don't just pick up the phone and call the other 
attorney's mm -hmm. client and start having mm -hmm. a conversation with them. That would be mm -hmm. against the rules as well. But when we're in our meeting, in a group meeting, it's a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation with the professionals, the parties. Everybody can talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Again, we have certain codes of conduct. We don't yell at anybody. We don't chastise anybody or call names or those types of things that we know better. Um, but it's just a unique perspective to be able to state directly to the other party, mm -hmm. hey, what about this interest that you have? How are you, how are you going about that? Mm -hmm. you're, you're going down a path that all of a sudden isn't reflected by your goals and interests. So I re maybe remind that person mm -hmm. of what was most important. Is it still important? Perfectly acceptable and collaborative. Well, I think this probably would be a good place to take a break and we'll come back with collaborative divorce and we'll continue with why collaborative divorce so we'll take a break and when we come back we'll continue with collaborative divorce and ernie martin and this is planning for win financial guidance in life and i'm kevin pinkley and we'll be back in just a moment thank you Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. We're back. This is Planning for Win, Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley. And as always, if you'd like to reach out and contact me, you can call at 832-375-0900. And we'll continue with Collaborative Divorce and Ernie Martin. Very good. Thank you, Ernie. So maybe we'll switch gears and talk about why someone could should consider Collaborative Divorce. All right. Uh, I'd say the primary reason that people should consider collaborative divorce is if you have children, mm -hmm. all right? Okay, we have marriages that after the divorce, the parties might not ever see each other again, talk to each other, none of that, okay? They don't have kids. There's nothing binding there, mm -hmm. short-term marriage. Um, you know, does somebody like that want to go through the collaborative process? There are probably other alternatives I would look at if I found myself in that position, mm -hmm. okay? Now, I don't want to limit it. There might be people who don't have children but yet have extensive family relationships mm -hmm. that they want to preserve as well. So, you know, maybe... Maybe party A is very, very close to party B's family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, they don't want that relationship getting soured. So that can be a, a good reason to do it. But most often, collaborative cases, we see children, usually younger children, mm -hmm. and we're trying to preserve the co-parenting relationship. So that's a big one. That's a big one right there. As we discussed, the goals and interest. The goals and interest negotiation is just not available in the courtroom, okay? It, it, again, it's going to be a positional type of situation in the courtroom, a tactical position. Hey, somebody didn't follow the, 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 the black letter of the law and the discovery. We got them. They mm -hmm. can't get this document into court, and so now we can take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Again, this just breeds contempt after a divorce. Money. Money. 
always a concern in a divorce, or it should be a concern in a divorce. All right, so there's, I believe, a complete misunderstanding out there mm -hmm. that people hear of collaborative divorces or collaborative family law matters, and it's gotten this unfair label of being the Cadillac of mm -hmm. divorces. Mm -hmm. From a standpoint of comfort, okay, maybe it is, but from a standpoint of how much it costs, compared to a contested litigated divorce mm -hmm. that goes the gambit, mm -hmm. Now, I do believe you save money with a collaborative case. <clears throat> now you can spend money in a collaborative case. I'm not gonna I'm mm -hmm. not gonna lie to anybody. We have two lawyers. Mm -hmm. They're getting paid by the hour. We have financial professionals also getting paid by the hour. The mental health professionals getting paid by the hour. Now a lot of other experts out there, a business evaluator, for instance, a land appraiser, mm -hmm. these folks, car appraisers, you know, they're getting paid probably the same if they're litigated or it's collaborative with the exception that you still have to pay those folks to come into court and testify. And again, by the hour, so as you're sitting around the courthouse, hour after hour, waiting your turn for your hearing or your trial, so is your expert witness. Right. And that's expensive. Well, I wanted to weigh in. I was, I was taking some notes, and you mentioned cost. Um, and you mentioned uh, regardless if it's a litigated case or a collaborative case, you're probably going to have the same type of people working on the case. It's just how they're working together or not, and maybe which is more efficient versus the other. And looking at back at the cases I participated in, whether it's a litigated mediation or collaborative, um, almost every one of the collaborative cases, I would say, are more efficient, which the overall cost were down versus had it been a litigated case or, in the example of a litigated case, um, my participation almost always seems to be more in the litigated case, which means there's more cost, and consequently everybody else's cost is more, In with my experience. And times two. Yes. Because in the litigated cases, there's always a counterpart for you. Correct, yep. And same with any, you know, medical providers or psychologists or in, any experts. Right. Each side has one. Mm -hmm. They work for the party, not for the case. Mm -hmm. In collaborative, again, this is a unique thing about collaborative, mm -hmm. is that our outside experts mm -hmm. and our neutral experts, under, mm -hmm. underline that word neutral, mm -hmm. are in fact that. They're neutral. They're working for both parties. Right. You have mm -hmm. both parties sign your contract, correct? Correct. And you're, you're then objective. You're then there to say, this is the straight skinny guy's. There's no fudge in this mm -hmm. because I'm working for both of you, and I'm going to try to meet both of your goals and your interest. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, you mentioned the key term neutral. When I'm working with both couples at a new, as a neutral, uh, whether the couple's been married five years or 45 years, at the end of that process, that couple working with the neutral has probably had more communication with each other on the financial side of it than they've ever had in their um, marriage, regardless of why that happened or why it didn't happen. And there's more conversation, there's more exchange of information and questions during that process in you know a matter of months than they have had in some cases decades. Because usually someone comes in and it's not always gender specific. They're like, look, we just haven't been able to talk about finances in the past for different reasons. And I know a little bit, they know a little bit, but we just haven't been able to communicate. And 
with the help of this process and the other professionals, we have positive communication there that um, many times they say we just haven't been able to do that on our own. And I hazard to guess that there's been some education going on as well. Ab yeah, absolutely. They're uh, on both sides. Um, so maybe they're familiar with what's going on, but they don't know all the solutions or all the possibilities. And uh, a lot of what we do is help them understand what they own, why they own it, and how it works. And things are a little more involved than sometimes people think. And having a neutral there uh, helps um, people consider the other possibilities that they normally wouldn't. And a lot of times we hear, you know, I didn't know that, and which they're not supposed to in some cases. That's just why someone's there to help that has expertise in a certain area. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that people will make better decisions mm -hmm. when they're educated, right. when they're informed. Um, when you're dealing with somebody who has no appreciation of what a stock is, for instance, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how the stock market works, mm -hmm. how investments work, it's going to be hard for them to decide, you know, mm -hmm. what do I want? Do I want investments? Do I want real property? Do I want cash? That's where the neutral financial mm -hmm. expert can be, I mean, just indispensable, mm -hmm. basically indispensable. And you see people come out of a collaborative divorce almost like I feel smarter. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know what I have. I feel like I know where it's going now. And that's, again, it's just priceless. Well, it's priceless. Uh, uh, absolutely. So, some clients, and I know you've heard this, have literally used the word, I feel empowered now. Or I'm not in this fog with I didn't understand what was going on or really I didn't even want to mess with it. And as you said, they can make informed decisions because, as you know, a lot of times people come into a room and they're like, I want to do this, I don't want to do this, and I want to do this. And they have the options to do that, but when you explain the rest of the story of, well, if we do that, here's what happens, pros and cons. This item that you don't want to do, here's what happens, pros and cons. And then usually you start to see the wheel spinning and they're like, oh, okay, we need to talk about this more because I wasn't aware of that. And they're not supposed to be. Um, but I think they feel much better during the process once they are a little more in tune with what's going on and the possibilities. You see them graduate from dependence to independence. There you go. And yeah. then, uh, listen, independence, you're going to have post-divorce relationships, right? Right. And uh, People who go from being married to getting divorced and they go right into a dependent-based relationship. Mm -hmm. eh, they're back in my office in a couple few years, right. you know, really. And again, they live their lives that way, whereas mm -hmm. they become, as you said, empowered mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. independence, through knowledge, through education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an intangible that comes along with collaborative because you're never really going to sit down with your expert financial witness who's going to testify in trial, and that person's going to sit there and explain to you what a stock option is, mm -hmm. Okay. They're basically going to say, don't worry about it. I'm going to explain it to the judge. That's all you need to know. Right. And right. there you go. That cost you $12,000. Um, so, again, the collaborative process from that standpoint is just, you know, there's nothing like it. There's nothing that's quite that beneficial. Another aspect of collaborative, this is probably more important for lawyers than it is for the parties, other than to focus on the cost-saving issues. Mm -hmm. But... 
we don't do written discovery in the mm -hmm. collaborative process. Now, again, in the litigated process, we're on timelines. We have to issue discovery. If we're going to do it, we have by such and such a date. Um, we have to file our motions to compel when people don't comply. Um, it gets very, very tedious. Mm -hmm. It becomes very, very expensive. And at the end of the discovery process, have we really gleaned anything? There's mm -hmm. a term in the litigation business called for discovery. It's called garbage in and garbage out. Mm -hmm. I give that to Manny Coyote. He's the one who <laughs> uses that term. Um, but it's true. Uh, you know, they're just there's not really that much valuable information that's gleaned in the discovery process. Whereas in collaborative, and we've, we've told our clients this mm -hmm. up front, mm -hmm. start gathering all your financial documents because I need everything. Mm -hmm. I need everything. The financial professional is going to need everything. Now, it's a, sometimes a process to get everything, mm -hmm. but it happens. And again, we haven't wasted the money in the collaborative process because you've honed in mm -hmm. on specific things mm -hmm. that you need to make a financial analysis. Whereas in written discovery, a lot of times we're using this boilerplate questions, mm -hmm. you know, produce this document, produce that document, even when it's not relevant. And we have some attorneys out there who come up with these crazy time periods. Oh, I need every document for the last 10 years. Right, it's like, right. well, they're only married for nine. Yeah. Okay. So, but again, that's what's in their form bank. That's what they send out. Yeah. The, um, you mentioned garbage in, garbage out. I just wanted to briefly mention, to summarize how it works in the collaborative process, um, as the neutral financial, I ask for the information that's needed once I have a better understanding of the couple's situation, and then they start to send it to me. And if it comes over slow or there's a hesitation, then I contact the attorneys. Y'all get back with your clients and say, send it to Kevin. It'll be helpful. And it shows up, and it's in good order, meaning we can make sense out of it, and it's the correct forms and the time frame, frame that we need. But on the litigation side, we ask for that information, and sometimes we wait two months, three months, four months, five months, and then literally I get 600 or 800 pages of some information, and I go through it, and most of it's junk. And then in the meantime, the other side's laughing that, you know, we're looking at useless information, and it's costing time and money. And then we have to start over again and say, remember what I asked for uh, that we really need. Uh, please send it over. And eventually it comes over, but there's not these games that takes place like a lot of times it takes place with litigation. So. Yeah, for that reason alone is a, is a good reason to mm -hmm. participate in the collaborative process as mm -hmm. opposed to the litigated process. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hate discovery. Mm -hmm. I always have. I never will like it. Um, do I make money on it? Sure, I make money on it, but it also leaves me in a position where it's like I've just built my client you know, several thousand dollars to go through this discovery process, only I don't really feel that much stronger about their case. Okay? Right. There's just you just don't get that many diamonds buried in the in the in the paper pile. Uh, now they're out there. Mm -hmm. Again, with the collaborative process, one of the cardinal rules is full disclosure. Mm -hmm. So again, if you're in a relationship with somebody who is notoriously dishonest, who has hidden finances throughout the marriage and has no interest in actually producing that information in fact they might even be using the collaborative process as a way to circumvent the judge mm -hmm. don't go collaborative right. Right? i'm telling you right now it will fail and mm -hmm. again so not every case is right for collaborative some other instances where cases are not right for collaborative 
cases where there's intimidation or violence. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a that's a no no. So if there has been domestic violence, really, that case needs to go before the judge. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, if a party just feels intimidated by their partner, and because of that, they might be hesitant to sit in the same room with them. You have to recognize that and say, okay, maybe collaborative isn't the best. At the same time, you can always try it. Mm-hmm. Here's the downside of collaborative. If it fails, the attorneys have to withdraw. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a unique thing about the Texas collaborative statute in that they, re- they rationalize that attorneys, go figure, some attorneys anyway, could be out there to push people into collaborative, use that process just for time consumption and billable hours, with the whole notion that they have no intentions on settling in that collaborative process. Mm -hmm. Then it will fail, and it goes now into litigation, and they get to still make money. Now Mm -hmm. they continue to profit over this divorce, okay? So it was realized that that just cannot happen. And therefore, the collaborative attorneys need to have the incentive to not let that happen. And if the process fails, they're getting fired. Mm-hmm. Okay, I personally hate it when a collaborative process fails, even if it's one that's like, okay, I understand why it failed. It's still a blow to me. I mm-hmm. don't like it. Okay, it's just a pride thing. That's that's all. Okay, I want that collaborative process to go through. I want it to succeed. Mm-hmm. I want it to have the the results that we think might happen at the end, whereas the parties can continue to co-parent and and uh, you know have a decent relationship in a post-divorce world. But at any rate, the attorneys must withdraw. You neutral folks, you can no longer right. provide expert testimony or provide advice to these folks either. Now, the good news is the documents that have been produced, the 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 stuff that has accumulated. That can still be used, mm-hmm. but it is a confidential process. So you can't bring in, bring up in court what was discussed in the collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Hey, in our meeting on September 12th, you said ABC. Mm-hmm. No, you cannot do that. That's confidential, everything that happened there. Well, and, you know, you mentioned that, that, um, you know, that could be a negative, and it, it it could be. I look at it also, and I know you do too, is that's an incentive for the couple to really work and make the process work. Um, and in most cases, it is successful. But as you said, people just have to be aware of, hey, if, if this can't be resolved, then there's an alternative. And you're not going to like the alternative probably. And you mentioned something there. Um, you, you, you talked about um, maybe you used the term privacy. If not, I'll use it. And after setting in more than a few collaborative cases, um, one of the benefits that I think is privacy because uh, the only people that are in that room are ones you invite into that room. And if we have a case that is a trial case, could there be other people listening to our case? Um, Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Now, you know, courtrooms are public venues, mm-hmm. so the public has a right to attend. Now, you know, certain judges recognize uh, the sensitivity mm-hmm. that goes along with the family family law matter. Uh, so oftentimes a family law judge might kind of quiz people who are sitting in the pews and mm-hmm. say, you know, what's your purpose here? But if I just simply say I'm here to observe, right. my judge is hard-pressed to kick me out. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, again, it's public forum. Right. And we go down there and 
listen, a lot of times the hearings, the courtroom is just packed with people. Right. Everybody is in your business. They have their own business too, but everybody's in it. Collaborative, yeah, absolutely. We're meeting in one of the attorneys' conference mm-hmm. room or the financial professionals' conference room. Um, oftentimes, we'll change mm-hmm. locations just mm-hmm. to kind of mix it up a little bit. But yes, the only people there are the ones who are invited. And you know, you might object to somebody else being in the room. Mm-hmm. So let's say that Party B wants to have their their mom there or mm-hmm. what have mm-hmm. you. Well, okay, Party B. Party A doesn't like mom being there so much. Maybe that's been a, a problem in the marriage. So, again, they can request no. You know, let's not have outside in attendees. Right. So again, all, of all of it's done by agreement. Yeah. Again, it's tailored to their needs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I think we've learned a lot about collaborative today. We could probably have collaborative part two in another setting to cover maybe things in a little more detail if we choose to. Um Ernie, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Again, again, I work at Courier and Martin, a part owner of the firm. C U R R I E R and Martin. That's www.curriermartin.com and 281 890 7090, extension 103. Thank you, Ernie. This is Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley. You can always reach me at 832. 832- Three seven five zero nine zero zero. We'll be on uh, the last Tuesday of the month at one p.m. And you can always find us online at Lone Star Community Radio. Thank you very much. Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing.